You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Preventing abuse of the Cobalt Strike pen testing tool, the U.S. investigates a leak of sensitive documents related to the war in Ukraine. Activist activity continues. Google's advice for boards, electronic lockpits for electronic locks. Next security devices may have security flaws. Tesla employees reportedly shared images and videos from Teslas in the wild. Matt O'Neill from the U.S. Secret Service discusses investment crypto scams. Our guest is James Campbell of Cato Security on the challenges of a cloud transition. And CISA releases seven ICS advisories. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, April 7th, 2023. Cobalt Strike, a legitimate penetration testing tool, has often been abused by cyber criminals. Microsoft's Digital Crimes Unit, in collaboration with cybersecurity company Fortra and the Health Information Sharing and Analysis Center, that's the Health ISAC, is taking legal and technical measures to disrupt illicit versions of Cobalt Strike and abused Microsoft software. Microsoft says the cracked software has been used in more than 68 ransomware attacks targeting healthcare institutions around the world, which, in Microsoft's words, have cost hospital systems millions of dollars in recovery and repair costs, plus interruptions to critical patient care services, including delayed diagnostic, imaging, and laboratory results, canceled medical procedures, and delays in delivering of chemotherapy treatments. Microsoft stated... On March 31, 2023, the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of New York issued a court order allowing Microsoft, Fortra, and Health ISAC to disrupt the malicious infrastructure used by criminals to facilitate their attacks. Doing so enables us to notify relative Internet service providers and computer emergency readiness teams who assist in taking the infrastructure offline— effectively severing the connection between criminal operators and infected victim computers. In full disclosure, Microsoft is a CyberWire partner. The New York Times reports that U.S. authorities are investigating an apparent leak of sensitive information concerning plans for U.S. support of Ukraine. The files have been circulated in Twitter and Telegram by Russian accounts. A significant fraction of the information seems genuine— although some, at least of that, could be inferred from publicly known open sources. 
and genuine enough to prompt an investigation. Other data, notably casualty estimates, appear to have been falsified in the Russian interest, with Russian casualties understated and Ukrainian casualties exaggerated, and these seem to represent an admixture of disinformation, which may be the principal point of their publication. Tech Republic offers a summary of trends in Russian hacktivism. Finland has become a recent target as it became a member of NATO this week. And Anonymous Sudan has stepped up activity against Israel. The nominally Sudanese group appears to be acting in alignment with Russian interests, if not actual direction. Google has released a report titled Perspectives on Security for the Board, highlighting how corporate boards can best navigate cybersecurity and cyber risk. First, cyber risk should be viewed through the lens of business risk. Google references the National Institute of Standards and Technology's cybersecurity framework, which can be useful for boards in reference to cyber. The framework comprises five core tenets, identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. Google also notes that it is imperative to understand the connection between threat intelligence and risk mitigation. To do this, Google advises boards to ask CISOs three questions. How good are we at cybersecurity? How resilient are we? And what is our risk? Google also advises a bold and responsible approach to AI, saying that boards and CISOs should work together to secure, scale, and evolve their AI approaches. Overall, Google recommends getting up to speed, being engaged, and staying in the loop as sound practices for board members overseeing the management of cyber risk. Automobiles have a controller area network bus called the CAN bus, and that bus can be compromised. The technique requires physical access to the automobile. Ian Tabor, an automotive security expert of EDAG Group, decided to do a forensic analysis to find out how his car was stolen, Security Week reports. He discovered that his headlight had been destroyed and the wires had been pulled out. The Register writes that Tabor investigated and found that various systems had seemingly failed or suffered faults. The faults were generated as the thieves broke into a front headlamp and tore out the wiring and used those exposed connections to electrically access the CAN bus. He concluded that the thieves probably used a hacking device that used the car's controller area network bus to inject false codes to start the car and open the door. You can buy the hacking hardware on online criminal markets. Security Week writes that such hacking devices can be acquired on dark websites for up to $5,500, and they are often advertised as emergency start devices that can be used by vehicle owners who have lost their keys or automotive locksmiths. These devices seem to be specific to car makes, which limits the thief or locksmith who uses them to one brand of cars. For this method, car thieves still have to make physical contact with the car, and so experts recommend taking proper physical security measures. When purchasing a smart security system, buyers assume that the security of the system itself can be assumed as a given. There is always, however, an inherent risk associated with connecting security devices to the larger Internet. And since we're talking about cars, here's a risk to the garages we park them in. Sam Sabetan, an independent cybersecurity analyst working with CISA, posted on this issue, writing, 
I discovered a series of critical vulnerabilities in Nex's smart device product line, which encompasses smart garage door openers, alarms, and plugs. These vulnerabilities enabled remote attackers to open and close garage doors, take control of alarms, and switch smart plugs on and off for any customer. This is the last thing users would expect when installing a security device. Sibetan's blog explains the vulnerability, noting that Nexus servers fail to verify if the bearer token in the authorization header corresponds to the alarm trying to connect. He further explains that the MAC address for each device is the same as the device's serial number, which means that an attacker can register an already registered device and effectively take control of it. Nex has not so far patched the vulnerability. Sabetan recommends that Nex users deactivate their devices and write the company requesting a fix. There are some new industrial control system advisories out. Yesterday, CISA released seven ICS advisories affecting systems from JTEC, Industrial Control Links, Corenix, MySCADA, Hitachi Energy, and Rockwell Automation. Users should take a look and apply the fixes and mitigations the vendors have on offer. And finally, back to cars, in this case the privacy associated with using them. Several former Tesla employees admitted that they used to share pictures and videos from cameras installed in Tesla electric vehicles from 2019 to 2022, as reported by Reuters on the 6th of April, These cameras are installed to enable driver safety and automated driving. The media ranged from videos of naked Tesla owners walking to their cars to an image of a user's garage. Why one would approach one's car naked is not explained. Among the higher-profile images captured include shots of a James Bond submersible car allegedly captured inside Elon Musk's garage. It's no secret, formally at least, that Teslas collect and report images. Tesla states in its customer privacy notice, we want to be very clear that in order for fleet learning camera recording to be shared with Tesla, your consent for data sharing is required and can be controlled through the vehicle's touchscreen at any time. Even if you choose to opt in, the camera recordings are limited to 30 seconds and remain anonymous, ensuring it's not linked to you or your vehicle. Reuters reports that the computer program that Tesla employees used at work could show the location of recordings, which would seem to provide less anonymity than customers might expect. Knowing how a company uses your data is important, and experts recommend that as onerous as slogging through the documents may be, users should read terms of service and privacy notices. As the great American philosopher Mr. Tom Waits put it, the large print giveth and the small print giveth away. Coming up after the break, Matt O'Neill from the U.S. Secret Service discusses investment crypto scams. Our guest is James Campbell of Cato Security on the challenges of a cloud transition. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. 
It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. James Campbell is CEO and co-founder of Cato Security and a former GCHQ analyst. I spoke with him about cloud security, the challenges people face, and the things that can be overlooked during a cloud transition. It's kind of a a double-edged sword because the pace in which you can adopt technologies or people can take advantage of those new technologies in cloud uh, tends to outpace the speed of which security considerations come into play. So a lot of organizations are you know, playing catch-up, so to say, when it comes to understanding the cloud, the complexities it brings when it comes to the security side of things. So there's lots of kind of blind spots there. I guess the other thing to consider as well is that, you know, I think a lot of people come to the cloud thinking that their traditional approach to monitoring and security kind of transfers from their kind of on-premise, you know, traditional on-premise environments uh, to cloud, but it doesn't necessarily translate in the same way. So, you know, there's a lot to learn there. And and this is where kind of gaps start appearing when it comes to security and risk. What are some of the things that, that folks typically overlook as part of this transition? A good question. So, you know, um, probably two parts to this answer, really, or two examples I can give. So, one is um, the understanding of the kind of shared responsibility model. So, you know, some people come to the cloud, um, you know, taking into consideration or, or thinking at least that, you know, it's the cloud provider's responsibility for security. But that's not necessarily the case. And I don't think a lot of people understand, you know, where does the line stop from a responsibility perspective and what do they need to look after? You know, while the cloud provider has responsibility to provide resiliency of the underlying services and infrastructure, ultimately, you know, the security of the environment you set up is is your responsibility. And so, you know, I think a lot of people kind of get a little bit confused about where that gap lies or where that line is, I should say. So it's good to really understand that. Um, And I guess the second part 
is, you know, particularly with new technologies. So, you know, cloud is amazing. So, you know, you move to the cloud to embrace the cloud, right? So you wouldn't just use it like an expensive data center where all your data is just sitting there um, on thousands of, of virtual machines. What you would probably look at if you fully embrace in the cloud is, you know, the use of serverless technologies like, um, you know, containers and ephemeral infrastructure, uh, Lambda functions as an example, just for AWS as, as one example, uh, auto scaling groups for your virtual machines. So you're only using the resources that you need, which ultimately, you know, for especially large enterprises, you're saving millions of, you know, dollars a year. This comes with an added risk, which, uh, you know, is one of the gaps, um, you know, that I mentioned where, okay, so we're in the cloud. We have containers or virtual machines kind of spinning up and down as we need them. What happens if I had a detection for something suspicious on a virtual machine that's part of an auto scaling group? You know, what happens if that system is only alive for 15 minutes? You know, how is my team going to investigate that suspicious activity? by the time that data gets recycled and deleted. So these are kind of the points or the pain points that people are starting to understand as their, under, you know, their understanding of the, uh, the cloud is maturing. That's a really fascinating insight. I'm, I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, you all do cloud incident response. So what are the specific challenges you face doing incident response in that environment? I, I think um, it's a couple of things. So one is, you know, Cloud can be a lot more complex than, than people think. I think a lot of things are available at your fingertips, which is great. Um, but it can also mean, you know, a lot of customer environments, you know, tend to be, uh, you know, a little wild west. So kind of shadow IT style where you have lots of kind of technical people with lots of technology at their fingertips. It's very easy to deploy systems, very easy to, you know, deploy new databases, et cetera, et cetera. And so keeping across all that is very, uh, very difficult to do. And so, if you don't have a tight grip on it at the start. So a lot of customer environments tend to be, you know, hundreds of root accounts and hundreds of different services they didn't know even existed. And so navigating the complexities of that is quite hard, particularly if you have, say, like a detection or you need to respond to something in the environment, you know, trying to find out where that asset is, who has access to it, and, you know, how do I get uh, to that data so I can investigate what's going on as soon as possible. It's really, really hard. And that's kind of one of the problems we try and help customers with is how do you kind of automate that? So how do you embrace the cloud in a way to solve the problem as well through automation, um, you know, and, and take away some of those complexities. So that's, that's definitely a big one there. And, and the other big one there is, is definitely around containers and ephemeral infrastructure. So, you know, your assets spinning up and down, terminating, recycling, all that data is kind of you know, churning very quickly, and so how do you get a co- like you know as part of that automation story? How do you how do you make sure you're retaining that data uh, or the useful bits of it? Um, you know, when you need it most, uh, especially if it's only you know alive for fifteen minutes at a time. What are your recommendations then? You know, for folks to to really uh, to 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 operate most efficiently, most effectively, and best to defend their cloud infrastructure. Any general words of wisdom? <laughs> I think it's a big it's a big question really there's lots yeah. there's lots you can do obviously but I think it's really truly under getting a grips of your cloud estate so truly understanding you know um, the assets or you know the technologies you're using in your cloud estate and 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 being aware of you know the controls you have in place um, also you know you need to ask yourself as well you know 
just just having kind of your high level detections or or you know kind of visibility from that perspective is one thing but what do you do next if something happens like how do you how do you gain access to that data how do you actually investigate how do you you know what do i need what you know mitigating control do i need to put in place and i think you know a lot of people tend to stop at the point of saying right i have my data in the cloud my cloud is set up i have my policies in place i have asset you know visibility um you know and then something happens and then quite quickly they they're in a world of trouble where you know they're trying to contract out a third party who knows about how to deal with cloud incidents etc you know i think a lot of people have really got to exercise and and understand the full you know I guess go through the motions of the attack lifecycle, so to say, from you know all the way from kind of that preparation to you know the exploitation and what you do to mitigate such such things in the cloud. That's James Campbell from Cato Security. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear more, head on over to the CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you'll get access to this and many more extended interviews. And I'm pleased to welcome back to the show Matt O'Neill. He is Deputy Special Agent in Charge for Cyber with the U.S. Secret Service. Matt, welcome back. Thank you for having me. So I want to touch today on something that I know is a focus for you and your colleagues. Uh, These are investment crypto scams, sometimes referred to as pig butchering. I know that's not your favorite term here, but uh, that's what some people refer to it as. What exactly are we talking about here? Can you describe it for us? Sure. So what will happen is uh, victims will be contacted largely through social media, dating sites, sometimes even just text messages, and they will try to get the victim to invest in this out-of-this-world crypto investment scheme, and they'll provide with really good sort of graphical interfaces to show you how much money you're making. Now, keep in mind, you don't know this person Mm. uh, at all. uh, You've never met them. But- the ROI for a lot of these investments appear to be so um, so good that it's tempting to a lot of individuals. And I think with this sort of lack of uh, knowledge, generally speaking, about cryptocurrency and how it works, but people read the news and, and see that, oh, this person made a ton of money on in crypto, then it encourages folks to, um, to, to invest. And so what will happen is once you start investing a little bit, you'll get access to a platform. It'll look like a traditional investment account. And then, of course, you're going to look like you're making a lot of money. So that's going to encourage you to spend more money, right? Invest more money. And then the idea of pig butchering is you get them to invest all of their money, and then you basically pull the rug out of them. And and that's where the butchering sort of comes into how does something like this begin? Does these typically start as, as a romance scam or a, a friendship? This is more of a long game kind of thing, right? Sure. So it will start either through, uh, like you mentioned, romance scams, uh, it'll, or through just through uh, social media platforms, whether it's uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, you name it. 
it could come through there. A lot of times it's important to know that we have a high degree of self-disclosure. We tell everybody everything about what we're doing on a daily basis. For us to see that and leverage that against you to give you this sort of feeling of, oh, well, this person knows me, I'm comfortable. Mm. They're just taking advantage of the information you've already provided to them to develop what you believe to be a relationship. And then whether it's a professional or personal relationship, and then that will sort of lower your guard a little bit to invest in whatever they're, they're asking for. It, it's key to know that if you are involved, and, and the statistics are off the charts for the amount of reported fraud, and we actually think it's even underreported. It's over $2 billion last year. Mm. The key to know is uh, first contact law enforcement, federal law enforcement, us, Secret Service, FBI, just contact somebody, report it to the IC3 website. But also, if you've invested money already and they you ask to withdraw your money and they say, well, you have to pay a fee, you're not going to get your money back and you're just going to give them more of your money. So that's something that is uh, hard to hear. But the reality of these uh, types of cases is they have already spent your money. They've moved it on. This is uh, transnational organized criminal groups. And there is no, uh, there's no real meaningful way for you to get your money back. The best uh, scenario is to contact your federal law enforcement agency to try to at least get involved in the process to try to disrupt and dismantle these organizations. I was going to ask, I mean, what, what, if someone reaches out to you, they find that they've been a victim of something like this. What sort of resources to, do you bring to bear to try to help? So we work with uh, the Department of Justice. We work with, uh, we're a global organization. So we will work with our foreign offices and our foreign partners through groups like uh, Europol to try to uh, affect arrests, but also asset forfeiture. Uh, for a couple of years, I ran our asset forfeiture uh, branch, which in my view is one of the best in the, in the, in the world at recovering funds for victims. Mm. And so depending on where the money is currently sitting, if it, it is at a, a virtual asset service provider, like a cryptocurrency exchange that honors legal process, there is a slight chance, but there is a chance that the money could be frozen and then returned through the asset forfeiture process uh, back to the victim. What is the message that you want to get out here for folks? I mean, our, our audience, I think, probably considers themselves fairly sophisticated, but then there's always friends and family and, and relatives and folks who may not be so sophisticated. Is is this largely a, an educational process, too, of, of letting people know these things are out there and to warn them of it? Yes, I believe so. I think the key components are the first is never invest with a complete stranger. Mm. Make sure that you've actually met the person in person mm. before you start investing. Do some research as to figuring out yourself what whatever cryptocurrency is that they're claiming to be uh, investing in. All of that information is readily available. Do, do your own research. And then if and when you're currently in one of these situations and you're trying to get your money back and they're asking for additional money, do not send them additional money. Please reach out to your local law enforcement, federal law enforcement, and get us involved as quickly as possible. We might not be able to get your money back, but we're trying to build out sort of the larger ecosystem of where these fraudsters are, and any piece of information is very helpful. All right. Well, Matt O'Neill is Deputy Special Agent in Charge for Cyber with the U.S. Secret Service. Matt, thanks so much for joining us.
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Sahar Abdelnabi from CISPA Hemholtz Center for Information Security. We're discussing their work, a comprehensive analysis of novel prompt injection threats to application-integrated large language models. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The CyberWire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfand, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Maria Vermasis, Jason Cole, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Millie Lardy, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Catherine Murphy, Janine Daly, Jim Hoshite, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, Simone Petrella, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com cyberwire. 
and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire.